Would you please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4? We're going to begin in verse 17 today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We'll go to verse 24 today as we continue in our series on the Apostle Paul's letter to the church that's in the city of Ephesus. You know, when I was uh, getting ready to graduate from college a lot of years ago, my friend and I, high school friend, very good friend, um, he said, hey, let's join a gym. I mean, we're getting to be that age, and uh, I think we, we played sports in high school. That kept us in shape, and uh, we need to join a gym. And so we joined, we joined the Sports Connection, if you remember where that was. That that's, was near Benihana's in that brand new restaurant row many years ago. They had a two-for-one offer, and so um, we went in two-for-one, and it was great. But when my semester started, it was, uh, it was an intense semester. It was my last semester before I got my degree, and I had to do an internship that was about 60 hours a week. And then after I was done with that, I, I just... I didn't have enough energy to do anything. So I bought the membership, two for one, and I didn't go for about 12 weeks. But my last semester ended, and uh, after it was complete, I, I called my friend up and I said, hey, ha have you been going to the gym? And he says, oh man, it is awesome. He said, uh, um, I've got a routine down. Um, I go once a week for one and a half hours a week at a time. He says, it's, it's just great. So I said, well, I'm in if, on that program. I mean, uh, an hour and a half a week. So I, I pick him up. We go down to the Sports Connection. We go to the gym, got a little bag, go to the gym, go in the locker, change in our uh, workout clothes. And, and he stops, and he says, just listen to that. And I was like, uh, okay. And he said, that music they play here is so good. And I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. And he says, the speakers are incredible. And I said, all right, okay. So I said, Let, let's go. And so we're walking out of the gym, and a guy meets us there, and he goes, hey, and he shakes his hand. He says, I want to introduce you to my friend, Dean. He goes, this is the head trainer. I said, oh, great. And the trainer says, hey, good to meet you. I'm going to do a class right now. Why don't you guys join? And he said, all right. So we go to the class, and, and I thought it was going to be working out, but he's going to talk to us about fitness. And so he talks to about, us about fitness for about 30 minutes. And boy, he was a good speaker, and, and it, we, we learned a lot. But I'm, I'm ready, you know, I'm, I want to get, get going. So um, we're done with the class. We go to the, to the uh, weight room, and the weight room is just big. It's new, it's, it's, it looks good. The music is still playing in there. There's people working out. And I'm feeling a little bit shy. You know, I haven't worked out in a long time. I mean, we played sports in high school, lifted weights and all that. Went to college, uh, didn't play in college. Did some intramural stuff, but not really. And I'm just, uh, I'm, not feeling, I'm not feeling it. So I tell my friend, hey, I'm going to watch you. And so he says, okay. So he goes up to the machine, and right next to the machine, there's a, someone he knows. And so he shakes their hand. He goes, how's it going? It's good to see you. And uh, he just ends up talking to his friend the whole time. And then we go to the... <laughs> go to the next machine, and he's over there, he's high-fiving people, hugging them, telling jokes, and we go from machine to machine, and he doesn't lift a weight, and I'm 
feeling a little bit weird, you know? And uh, he's even giving tips. He's over there and he says, yeah, pull down, keep your elbows in. You look in the mirror, don't let the elbows go out, you know, do this. He's giving tips, he's telling jokes, he's making friends. He's having a great time, but I'm thinking, it's time for a drink. Is it? And so he says, let's go to the juice bar. And so we go and get a smoothie, you know, a, a protein shake. And we're drinking that shake and go look at a bunch of weights some more. <laughs> Takes his last swig and he says, I don't know about you, but um, we've been here about an hour and a half. <laughs> and he says, uh, uh, I didn't work up a sweat, so no need to shower. And we leave. So as we're walking out, I, I said, you know, um, well, he says, you know, Dean, this gym membership is the best thing I've done in a long time. I've made good friends. Um, I love the classes. The smoothies are so good. And I said, well, buddy, I said, has that working out once a week for an hour and a half, has it really helped you? He says, you know what? It really hasn't helped that much as far as weight loss is concerned. But if, I think if we keep doing what we're doing, we keep showing up, we keep getting a drink, we keep listening to good music, we keep getting good teaching, we keep meeting people and making friends, I think we're bound to lose a few pounds. I think we're bound to gain some muscle in our, cardi our, our heart. Our, the cardio that we're doing is going to help us. That sounds stupid, huh? Yeah, I just made that story up. So, um, <laughs> Our text today is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's word. Today's topic is spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. And there's some interesting ideas and responses to these ideas that we have and, and, uh, about how we grow as a Christian, how we mature as a Christian. And so what we'll start with today is we'll call this truth and lies about spiritual growth. And the first lie, lie number one, is this. Spiritual growth happens automatically. Spiritual growth happens automatically. I, I think there's a part of us, there's just a part of us inside our hearts that thinks we'll grow and we'll mature and be a better Christian if we just go to church and we'll experience spiritual growth automatically. And as I say this, I, 
I know, I, I know what you're thinking. It sounds ridiculous, because it is. But the truth is this. It's a process that takes time. It's a process that takes time. It, it, you have to be intentional if you want to grow, if you, if you want to mature as a Christian, and it takes time. Spiritual growth just doesn't happen. Anything you're good at, and I look out there and I see some of you, and you're really good at some things, but I, I've got to, I want you to think, if you're, if you're pretty good at something, how much time did it take you to be proficient in that? Just proficient. And then you got to think, how much time did it take you to be very excellent at what you do? You know, on July 26, 1986, something happened in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I do. Janet said, I do. And that's the day that I became an amazing husband. <laughs> and you laugh at that, because I think we all know. On July 26, 1986, I showed Janet that I had no clue how to be a husband. <laughs> I wanted to be a great husband. I really did. Wanted to have a great family. Wanted to be a great dad. And years later, 34 years later this year, I'm still working on it. And if you play an instrument or you, you play sports, you know to be really good at that, you need to be intentional. You need to have intentional practice and repetitious training. And when we consider spiritual growth in our lives, we sometimes think that ah, it just comes automatically. But really, it's an intentional process that, that, that takes time. And we listened to a funny story that I told in the beginning of me hanging out in the gym with my friend, going once a week for an hour and a half, and really doing nothing, but hoping for results. And if some of you are doing the very same thing in your Christian life. You show up on Sunday, you hang out for an hour and a half, and you go home. And you think, that's got to make me grow. Well, you might be thinking, Dean, isn't God the one that makes us grow? Well, lie number two is this. God makes us grow spiritually. And some of you in your hearts are going, hold on here. What's the deal? What's... Dean, you said that what separates Christianity from other religions is that God calls us to himself and he's the one that changes us from the inside out. And that's true. God motivates us. He empowers us. He gives us his spirit. We just have to act on it. And we're not robots. We have choice. We have free will. And we have to act on what God has already started in our life. The truth of, this, truth of it is this. It happens through our daily decisions. It happens through our daily decisions. Paul makes it so clear in chapter 4, verses 17, verse 19, verse 22, and verse 24. The whole thing, he clears it all up. In verse 17, he says, You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. The way you live is a decision. You must no longer do this. In verse 19, he says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over 
to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. You see, it's their choice not to follow God. And in verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your, for, your old self, <clears throat> which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You have to put off, you have to reject the way you used to live. And in verse 24, it says, And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God will give you his power. His strength, he'll give you a spirit. But you'll have to choose to daily act on this. The Apostle Paul writes another letter to a church just across the Aegean Sea in a city called Philippi. In chapter 2 and in verse 12, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, notice those, that phrase, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Because your salvation, Christ has done it all. But he's saying, work out your salvation. So we ask ourselves, what, what, is this, what is that about? See, you're a child of God, and you didn't work for that. You're adopted into the family of God, and you didn't work for that. And and, and you've been given grace, mercy, and forgiveness. You didn't work for that. And you're an heir to the throne. You're co-heirs with Jesus. And you didn't work for any of that. And in verse 13, Paul writes this in chapter 2 of Philippians. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And his good purpose in you is that you would grow and mature in your relationship with him. Line number three is this. I'll grow as much as I know. That the more I know, that's going to cause me to grow. Now, it's the thinking, if I learn more, then automatically I'll just grow more. And Christian maturity and growth is not just about learning more about God and about the Bible. The truth is this. It's more about how we live, not, how, not what we know. It's more about how we live and not what we know. Growing and maturing is more about behavior than about belief. I, I think it's interesting to, to read about um, in the New Testament, just to the right of where we're at in Ephesians, is, uh, is a book called James. And James is the little brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like growing up in that family? I mean, can you imagine your older brother or your older sister telling you, yeah, yeah, I'm God. I'm, I'm Messiah. That person that we're, we're waiting for to redeem us all and, and, and bring the kingdom of God on earth, that's me. Can you imagine that? And so James, well, I don't know how he reacted to that, but he did write this book. And he writes in chapter 2, he says, you know what? He says, you say you have faith. He says, you say you believe in God, but you don't live a life like you're believing in God. What kind of faith is that? Can that faith save you? 
if you just believe and not live out that belief? He says, I'm not, not just going to tell you how to have faith. I'm going to tell you that the way you believe has got to be the way you live out your life. And then in James chapter 2, verse 19, he says this, You believe there is one God, good, but even the demons believe that, and they shudder. The lie is I'll grow as much as I know, but the truth is it's more about how we live than what we know. And the last lie we'll take a look at today is this, I can grow all by myself. I'm going to grow as a Christian all by myself. I can do it all alone. I've been reflecting a lot about this just recently about American Christianity, you know, Western Christianity, and how I think the culture of America kind of bleeds in with our Christianity. American culture is, is fiercely independent. American culture is, is, is very individualistic. It's very personal. It's not really communal. And in our Christianity, it kind of tends to be that way. But when I read in the Bible, especially in the, the book of Acts, the actions or the acts of the apostles, the church was doing stuff together all the time. Daily they were meeting together. It was communal. They were, they were in community constantly. And I, I think about in the church world, there's a, there's a season of 40 days plus before Easter. The church world, we call this Lent or the Lenten season. And it's not some, you know, some mysterious word. Lent means spring or spring season. And it's symbolic of the scriptural account of the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting in the wilderness. The church world marks the Lenten season with church community-wide. So it's, it's community-wide. It's the church family gathering together and, and going deeper in prayer and going deeper by withholding or, or fasting. Uh, it goes deeper through devotional reading in, in, in the scriptures, through reflection in our, in our life, of our spiritual life. A season of 40 days plus of service in the community and, and uh, deeper connections with the church family. And it's, it's, it just it goes against, it flies against American culture, especially our South Bay culture, that, that's full of indulgence, that's full of more screen time rather than more reflection in our hearts. Uh, our South Bay culture is filled with superficial connections with God and with others rather than going deeper with God and going deeper with others. Our culture is about self-centeredness, self-focus, and individualism rather than service in thinking about how can we grow mature as believers together as a church. The truth is this, though. I grow best when I'm connected with others. I grow best when I'm connected with others. And that's why Paul's writing this letter. That's why we're calling this series One. It's oneness with God and oneness with one another. It's this grand unity in the church that we grow together. A few months ago, I was talking to a man. He wanted to talk to me, and, and, and I didn't know him before, but um, he wanted to talk to a pastor. And so um, he has some connections in our community, and, and someone said, you should talk with Dean. So I, I said, all right, I, I don't know you, but um, 
He said, come on over. We'll, we'll meet at my house. So I pull up to this beautiful South Torrance house. And uh, it's up on a hill. And uh, he's got this view of the Queen's necklace of the, of the Santa Monica Bay. And I was, I'm thinking, this is worth it already. This is great. And uh, um, so we sit down in his backyard. Um, and he starts talking to me about his spiritual life. And he said, um, I used to be part of the church, is what he, he started with. I used to be part of the church. And I thought, oh boy, I know where this is going. He said, but the pastor that I really liked left. And the people I found were really gossipy. And then I found that they were hypocritical. All the leaders cared about, he said, I, I thought was about money. And then he said this. He said, I'm really into God, but I'm not into organized religion. And I, I hear that all the time. He says, I'm not into organized religion. You know, the church. And so I, I, I said, hey, do you know who organized the church? And, and he said, oh, I, I love reading history books. Let me, let me think for a second. He's thinking in his mind, and he's kind of recounting all the popes, you know, in his mind. I said, you know who organized the church? And he says, well, I, I can't remember his name. And I said, it was God. <laughs> God organized the church. You're into God. What's the deal with the church in your life? It'd be the same thing as, as someone coming up to me and saying, hey, Dean, he says, can we hang out a little bit? He says, I think we got a lot in common. Okay. He says, I, I got some great restaurants, places that serve great food and great drinks. We, let's go visit some of them. I'd say, all right, good. Let's do it. Um, I said, I'll, I'll check with Janet, and uh, I'll check with the kids, you know? And, and he says, uh... You know, I just wanted to hang out with you. I don't really care for Janet. <laughs> I don't care for Matt or Jerrica or Carissa either. Just you. How would you feel about that? And Nova, you know this. You already know it. We grow best when we're connected to one another. Sundays is a start. But church isn't Sundays. And, and, and so I, I don't want to ever hear you say, I'm going to church. I've got a meeting, we're going to meet at the church. It's just a building. That's why we have weekly small groups. You know, we've told you. you. You know, the church is people. It's all of us together. It's not a building. It's not a worship service. It's not good music. It's not even a good sermon. And I want to explore this with you, with us, together, even more. And I've been thinking of ways that we can connect with one another during this 40 days before Easter season for spiritual renewal for all of us, for us to all grow together as we connect together. So I've been thinking about how can we pray together more? How can we fast together? How can we serve together? How can we count our blessings together and, 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 and be grateful for what God has given us together? Because when we do this together, it's going to equal growth is what it's going to do. 
So let's do this. Let's take a look at, at three verses in our text today, and we'll talk about the keys to spiritual growth. These are three keys, and we're actually going to continue this again next week, but I just want to set you up with this right now. The keys to spiritual growth. Number one is put off. Put off. And we find this in chapter 4 and verse 22. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about Ephesus as the city. And we looked at the beautiful photos that we had, and we looked at a map and where it was positioned. We talked about the culture of Ephesus at the time that Paul's writing this letter, or or very near the time that Paul's writing this letter. And so we looked deep into the book of Acts, the actions or the acts of the apostles in verses 18 and verses 19. And and we read that that, that Ephesus was a city full of idols, the goddess Artemis in this demonic spiritual activity that was happening in the city. And then we read in Acts that many in the city discovered that Jesus was the ultimate power that can overcome demonic activity. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 17, it says this, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, as Jesus was his ultimate power, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And then get this. We kind of skipped over this a few weeks ago, but get this. Many of those who believed, so these were believers. Many who, of those who believed, now they were believers, but now they came and openly confessed what they had done. These were believers, and then now they came and openly confessed what they'd done. It says, a number who had practiced sorcery and I'm going to add the word before, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. So these were believers, and now they openly confess their sins, but they were sort of keeping their idols like, we'll keep them in that storage shed, the scrolls. We'll we'll just kind of keep them in the closet in the bottom, just in case we need them ever. And because of Jesus being this ultimate power, they brought their scrolls together. They confess that of their sins and they brought the scrolls and they burned them and then they calculated the value and it it calculated to be about a hundred thousand dollars and in this way the word of the lord spread widely and grew in power in ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 it says you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires what is the key to spiritual growth there's a putting off of something You want to grow mature in your relationship with God? It's not about how many church events can you get to. The question is, what do you need to put off in your life? I think that we all know that there's some things in our life that we need to to put off. We need to give up in order to grow closer to Jesus. What is it in your life that you need to give up control to God more of so that you can mature in him? You just can't show up. You just can't listen to some good music, hear a good sermon, get a cup of coffee, and say hi to a few friends and walk out thinking, I'm going to grow because I do that. The second key is this. Number two is to be made new. We find this in verse 23. It says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to think differently. Your thinking needs to be made new. 
With so much information available for us today, there's just so much out there, streaming services. You can listen to music 24-7. Any song you want, it seems, you can listen to through a streaming service. There's podcasts. You can get teaching, way better teaching than you're hearing right now. You can get it 24-7, anytime you want, all over the place. There's so much audio and so much video. You want to learn how to do something? You ever do that? I'm, I'm trying to fix something at home. Just look it up on YouTube. They'll tell you all about it. And you can watch it over and over and over again where you, get, you watch it so much that you could teach it yourself. And so you make your own video about the whole thing. And, and it's all available. So much content is available for us in this global connectivity that we have. But the question is, what content are you filling your mind with to be made new in the attitude of your minds? I, I love in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and in this paraphrase called the message, and it, it says this. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping and eating and going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. But take a look at this next phrase right here. Click that slide, yeah. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your intention on God You'll be changed from the inside out. You want to grow? Don't let the culture squeeze you into its own mold. I, I love, we're, we're, we have this Nova class um, that meets in the fireside room at, 12, at 11, 15, called the Bible and Culture. And so what we've been doing is we've been, we've been thinking about how our culture thinks about things like wisdom and about wealth and about suffering. And we're, we're thinking about the people that we know and our neighbors and our classmates and our, our family and our coworkers about what they think about wisdom, where, the, where wisdom comes from. And then we examine the scriptures and we say, this is what the Bible tells us, where wisdom and wealth, what, what we do with all of that. So don't let, don't be so well adjusted to your culture, that you fit in with them without even thinking. Take a look at this next section. It says, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings, out, uh, brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So how do I recognize what God wants from me? To take your everyday life, and give it to God as an offering. And recognize around you the culture that's dragging you down. Stunting your spiritual growth. And recognize that a relationship with God is bringing out the best in you. The third key to spiritual growth, and we'll end with this today, is uh, number three, put on. Verse 24, you, you, you knew it if you read ahead. It, it says, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To, to live out and to put on your new self. Choose to be the person God called you to be even before you feel like it. How do you best put on your new self? That's the question here. 
Paul, in verse, chapter 4, verse 25, to the end of the chapter, gives us some pretty detailed instructions on how to put on the new self. And we're going to cover that next week for sure. But you know what? I've been thinking that someone in your life needs to be an example of living new and willing to teach you and mentor you to put off the old and to change your thinking and to help you to put on the new. And that's why we have the church. That's why we have one another. That's why the mission of the church is to create disciples that make disciples. That's what we're all about. If, if we stop doing that, we cease being the church. And that's why we don't just meet with the crowd on a Sunday, but we meet with, in small groups and we hang out together, and that's how we grow. And the Bible calls us making disciples. And parents, if you're a parent out there, you do this with your children. And a smart parent understands that they can't be their child's only disciple. That a smart parent connects their child with other disciple makers. When I was um, maybe 19, 18, 19, 20 years old, it happened to me for the first time. A man in his 30s took an interest in me and discipled me. You see, I grew up in a family that was, they did their best. I I had a good dad. I have a good mom. They helped me to, to know Jesus, but they could only take me so far. And I remember going to this man's house, he and his wife, and they had a couple boys, three boys, and something I lacked in my life is, is um, it was just the way my family was. I don't ever remember really having physical affection, and I really crave that in my life. And I'd go to this guy who was mentoring me, his house, he and his wife Joanne, and they'd invite me over for lunch, and he has three little boys, some babies, and he'd be wrestling with them on the ground and hugging them and kissing them. And I would just, I, I'd probably look real strange. I'm just sitting there gawking at this because I never had it. And I thought to myself, one day, one day, I'm going to have a, a son and a daughter, and, and I'm going to do that. And I saw this man interacting with his wife. They just invite me in their home. And, and I saw him, you know, be uh, angry with his wife, and it was, it was wrong. It, like, he was just kind of angry guy, you know. And I was just watching this, and then I thought, uh-oh. You know, because you kind of feel it. You, that wasn't right. And then I watched them right in the open, him go up to her and say, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I love you. Would you for, will you forgive me? And you know what? I've never seen that either. And then one time, we were at a men's Bible study, and it was in the summer, and it met about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And what does a 19-year-old want to do on a summer afternoon at 2 o'clock on a Saturday? Not go to a Bible study filled with a bunch of guys. I'm at the beach, and I skipped it. And he called me that night, and he said, hey, Dean, we missed you. Where were you? And I tried to, uh, you know, uh, uh, I was at the beach. 
And he said, oh, I thought we promised that we were going to be here for the next 10 weeks. And I said, oh. And he said, here's where you say I'm sorry. And here's where I say I forgive you. And then it's okay from that, that point. And I never did that because I never saw it. Do you need someone in your life to tell you how to do that? Or better, do you need to do this with someone in your life to teach them? It was almost like he was reparenting me. Or he took it from where my parents took me and my parents like handed him the baton and he said, I got it from here. And then he said, next time we meet, next Saturday, I want you to say you're sorry to all the rest of the guys. And I've never done that before either. We started, I thought, he's going to forget. We started, he said, hey, okay, let's start. He says, Dean wants to say something to all you guys. <laughs> but this is the man who was leading a small group for the church that I was going to, and this is the man that said, I'm going to go start another small group. Dean's taking it from here. And I was 18 years old with a group of people that were 20s, 30s, and 40s. I had no idea what I was doing, but he trained me. And I grew like crazy. The Apostle Paul writes in chapter 4, verses 22 and 23 and 24, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We need to grow. We need to mature in Jesus. And we have all the tools and all the people and all the resources right here. Amen?